0: Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish. Trish, we are in the holiday season, squarely, officially. What is your favorite holiday season tradition in your home or with your extended family, friends, etc And are you able to do it this year?
1: That's a great question. I love that you always surprise me. I have no idea what the question's going to be. Now I'm stalling for time to think of my answer. Um, Okay. So the, the tradition part is actually partly serious and partly humorous and I can do half of it this year. So, um, I always look forward to going to church on Christmas Eve with my family. Um, have always done this and I actually have not been to my church in this entire time of the pandemic. I've been doing it online for safety, but I was actually thinking like that you know, Christmas Eve will probably be the first time we actually go back in person and sign up and they have a very safe way to do it. The part we don't get to do is normally we go to dinner first on Christmas Eve and around here, there's nothing open other right. than Applebee's. So our tradition- Don't, don't
0: dis on the bee. That's even <laughs> good in the
1: neighborhood. Our tradition for like 20 year, 26 years, something is to go to Applebee's for Christmas Eve dinner, which I don't go any other time of the whole year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's Apple a missed by you. That's a missed opportunity.
1: I know, right? So I think the only way it's going to work this year is if I do like takeout from Applebee's, All right. which. I feel like I should do, right? Like I shouldn't.
0: I think don't break that I, tradition, right? That's the whole point of the, the question. I'm really more interested in, yeah, sure. I was interested in the tradition, but also interested <laughs> in if, yeah, are you able to do it this year, right? So, because uh, yeah. it's been such a crazy year. All right. Good stuff.
1: Love it. Now, what What's yours? What's something that Mine's you Mine's
0: like not nearly right? as nice and family oriented or anything. I like oh. watching the NBA basketball on Christmas Day. It's the best day of the year traditionally for NBA games. you got all the marquee matchups. It's a full slate of games, usually about five games. Starts about noon Eastern, one-ish Eastern, goes all the way into the evening. And yes, I will be doing that again this year because I will be (laughs) locked up at home, not going anywhere. The Um, NBA is resuming their new season uh, very soon, actually, and there will be games on Christmas Day. So I will be doing that.
1: Well, good. Yeah, normally we do bowling on Christmas Day, but – obviously that will not be happening.
0: Either. Nice. All right. We'll ask our guests the same question. Now she's had a couple of minutes to think about it herself. She didn't know the question either, but uh, we're going to talk about mental health in the workplace, Trish. This is something it's probably, it's always been important. You and I were talking about it last mm-hmm. year and the year before. I know I presented about mental health in the workplace a couple of times. Uh, so it's not a new topic for us, but with this year and COVID and everything else, it's, it's probably more important than ever. And our guest today to help us talk about it uh, is Tracy Furstler. She's the Assistant Vice President and Head of Return to Global Health at MetLife. And we're going to talk about the new MetLife Report on the State of Employee Mental Health Amid COVID-19. Tracy, how are you today?
2: I'm well, thank you.
0: Before we get into you and the bio, and I've got the whole bio too, I wanted you to uh, weigh in on the question of the day.
2: (laughs) Yes, Um, so sadly, my family will not get to do one of our favorite traditions. Uh, My in-laws are a very large family and they usually do an actual hayride on Christmas Eve and they carol and um, everybody bundles up because I'm in upstate New York, so it's cold and snowy usually. Uh, But it's something we've done for years that my father-in-law started, and all of our kids have been doing it since they were babies. But with everything going on, um, certainly not safe to have everybody together. So we'll be skipping this year, unfortunately, but looking forward to hopefully being able to resume next year.
0: Tracy, uh, uh, I'm an escapee of upstate New York about a year (laughs) or so ago. Uh, so yeah, I sort of get some of that too. There was always the snowbound things and the yes. rides and the Santa train and all that stuff. And uh, I'm not, I'm not sorry. I'm missing the snow and the ice. I don't know if you're getting that as we speak today It's supposed to be a big storm. Tonight, and we're supposed yeah. to get it
2: tonight. So it
0: right. is the season. Awesome. Well, uh, Tracy, let me just go through some of the bio here. Tracy started at MetLife in 2004 as a vocational rehabilitation counselor in the group disability product. Over her nine years in group disability, she worked in the areas of absence, STD. Tracy, we really need to change that acronym, by the way, for that product. (laughs) LTD and clinical operations as a disability consultant and senior operations manager. After leaving the disability operation, Tracy spent three years with the group Dental as the director of vendor and channel management. Two years as a part of process excellence and two years leading our return to health clinical organization and our network management teams. Most recently, she's taken responsibility for the operational readiness team as part of our ongoing investment into our disability product and our disability evolution program. Here's where it's cool, Tracy. Tracy is a certified rehabilitation counselor, which we have needed on this show for a long time, and holds a PhD in organizational psychology. Super impressive, Tracy. Dr. Tracy, I'm going to call you that. (laughs) <laughs> Thank that's you. a lot. So I went, I wanted to sort of intro you first before reading all that, because that's kind of a lot to get your arms around, maybe just help us understand what you do at MetLife and how that fits into how uh, organizations kind of also work with MetLife.
2: Sure. Um, so primarily all of those roles you listed off, which sound exhausting to hear somebody else talk about <laughs> it. Um, it's really all in the group space. So to think about that from an employer perspective, those products that MetLife offers, dental insurance, uh, disability insurance primarily, we do not offer on an individual basis. So it's group employers. So for example, um, a large employer will come to MetLife and we will um, work with them to offer that benefit to all of their employees. So Um, It is dealing with it through the employer basis. So certainly we have basically two forms of customers. We have our claimant, uh, the person actually using the benefit, filing the claim, oftentimes, unfortunately, going through a difficult time in some of these benefit situations. And then the customer, their employer, who has uh, solicited those benefits for
0: their workforce through us. Perfect. Thank you, uh, Tracy. So uh, that helps, right? Because sometimes we, and you know, it's funny too that a brand like MetLife it's, it's almost feels like a consumer brand in many ways, right? Because uh, we see the TV commercials, right? The stadium, the, the big building in Manhattan, which I promised you I wasn't going to talk about, but now I'm talking about it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if we feel like we really know this, this company in some ways. I don't know. I feel like I do.
2: Yeah, you know, MetLife has always um, been great. I mean, we're everywhere, right? There's stadiums and buildings and all sorts of things, um, you know, that I think make it a very recognizable brand. And there are some products um, that are offered on a more individual basis that some, you know, individuals may have experience with. For this particular space, when we think about things like disability and workplace environments, we do primarily work through that group space, through the employer offering. So Um, It does give us a lot of different individuals that we work with. Some individuals may not even realize if they have MetLife coverage that it was done at that group level and facilitated that way. Um, But from an employer perspective, the unique thing that I've always enjoyed about my role with MetLife is, again, I get to work with claimants and the benefits we offer them, but I also get to learn a lot about the employer space and what benefits they're offering and why they're offering them because we do have that employer interface.
0: Tracy, want to set, we want to talk today about mental health at work, in the workplace, and we're really going to tie this to the recently released 18th annual U.S. Employee Benefit Trends Study, which MetLife released, which I realized today, I talked about the 17th annual one last year on one of our shows. Uh, maybe we could start with there. Maybe talk about that report a little bit. What's its, what is it designed to sort of find out and help communicate? And, and maybe what were some of the big takeaways uh, from that report this year that, that we can dive into in a little bit more detail?
2: Yeah, so as you mentioned, the employee benefit trend study is something MetLife has done for years. Uh, and again, just really taking advantage of our place in that benefits administration space and our connection and, and you know the ability for employers to recognize us and be willing to participate and provide input on the things that they're doing. And that helps us really take that information and help push it out so that other employers who maybe are thinking about what types of things should I offer my workforce? What do employees care about? What are other employers doing? Um, that's really the, the purpose of this. And then, of course, for this year, with everything going on, uh, we really did our regular employee benefit trend study, but with an additional focus on mental health. Uh, with everything going on with the pandemic, we very quickly started to hear, just quite frankly, in droves from employers about what is everybody doing and what should I be doing and how do I help my employees? Um, and unfortunately, as you know, for folks that go out and read it, it's uh you know, there's a lot of information in there to digest, but, you know, some of the things, even if you're not a guru on benefits, when you read things like, you know, 5.5 million employees no longer feel healthy, that pertains to everybody. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Um, the employer view, you know, one of the things that jumped out to me was one in five employers feel like the U.S. is in a mental health crisis. Um, again, those are things that, You know, you don't have to be working in the benefit space every day, and you hear those type of stats, and it just resonates, I think, with the things that everybody's going through. I know in my family, right, I have an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old. They're all on Zooms. We're all working virtually, trying to figure things out, stay healthy. Those things really resonate with everybody.
1: You know, I'm so glad that you you do this report, and I'm also glad you focus on mental health right now because I think, first and foremost, having a, a recognized, trusted brand like MetLife sort of validating that this is okay to talk about is helpful. I think anytime you get sort of um, that, that lean toward this not being something that's stigmatized in the workplace any longer, because it was for many years, and it's probably something you wouldn't have shared at work if you're having any sort of mental health issues or, you know, just needing some sort of help, right? Um, Do you, do you find that when you hear from the respondents, um, are they primarily HR leaders, business leaders, or are these employees who, who made up sort of the, the group of people who were replying? And the reason I ask is because I'm thinking, you mentioned this is something that, you know, everyone is going through at the same time, many of the same challenges. And it's sort of like, if you're sitting in that HR seat, or you're a CEO, CFO, whoever, and you're struggling, how do you help your employees who might be struggling? That's kind of what I'm getting at is... Who were the respondents? Did you was there a nice mix or?
2: Yeah, it, there there is a mix, um, and certainly you know as you read through it, some of the questions are absolutely more from an HR basis, right? What programs are you offering? How is your workforce? But there is absolutely things in there related to the employees um, and their mix. And and to your point, I think that it is important. And again, we heard this from employers, even informally, right? So the employee benefit trend study is important for us to package up and try to help push. Information out, but we also had in instances with customers just informally where customers of ours would call us and say, For example, we work in a retail industry. Are you hearing from any other retail employers? Because our workforce is asking us for how do they juggle childcare and still be able to come to work when their kids aren't in school anymore and everybody's home. And so we really did get a lot about that employee view. Um, And I I think, you know, it helped us be able to, again, shape some of these stats and recommendations that we're sharing for others to share and think about how it pertains to their workforce. It was also interesting because I think it also helped the HR level, right, and the manager level who was involved in all of that. Um, You know, I think sometimes it's easy to get into the same types of topics and kind of same routine with benefit considerations. And this really caused everybody to think about a lot of their programs in a different way.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, it's sort of like when you're on the plane and you have to, if there's a crash, you're going to put on your own mask before you put on your child or whoever you're with, right? So I think it's just interesting if I'm, if I'm an HR leader or any kind of leader really reading this report, I'm probably thinking it more in two, two levels than I might have a year ago, right? Because now I'm thinking like, okay, am I even capable and mentally prepared to help others? Um, what can I do to help myself, help my family? And then what can I do to be helping in my organization? So I think it's great. I think it's also, you mentioned at the, you know, the beginning, it's um, it's really helpful information for benefit planning, which, you know, a lot of times this is what people go through, maybe even more towards summer when, when you know, before open enrollment again. So yes. I think for- for example, this is really good to dig into now because it gives you a couple months to really have those deep conversations around your findings with your CFO, with your COO or CEO, and, and truly plan out maybe something different with your benefits approach, um, based on the findings. And I don't know that, you know, a lot of times I'll be honest, when I was doing benefits administration, you know, if it's not broke, you don't fix it. Right. So you'd you'd give it a quick, give it a quick glance. All right, we'll do the same thing next year. So anyway, I think, um, I think from what I've seen so far, and I know what we'll continue to dig in on, I think it'll be helpful to make some changes for the coming year.
0: Yeah. Tracy, I'd love to dive into a couple of the key findings or the highlights that we've teased out from from the report data. And again, I recommend everybody read the entire report for sure. A little like holiday break reading maybe. But uh, the first one I want to mention is really acute and it's getting, I think, worse with with COVID and, and the situation in the labor market, which is financial wellness. And how you discovered how um, significant that was a contributor to stress and burnout. I'd love for you to maybe share a little bit more about that, Tracy, what you found around the topic of financial wellness and maybe why it's getting maybe more, more acute in the workplace right now.
2: Yeah, I, I think, you know, financial wellness is an interesting topic, right? I think there are employees who maybe are always a little bit more concerned about that, right? And there may be the employees who are just good planners and that's a space they're knowledgeable out, about and they do a lot with their stocks and 401k <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, right? And then you have, um, which also happens to us in the disability arena as well, then you have a group of folks who don't really think about it until they need it. And then they're panicking, right? And they're, they're stressed. And I think in this particular situation, one of the things we found in the report was for 81% of employees, financial wellness was their top concern. And I think, again, just a culmination of factors, you have um, the economy and you have you know, talks of recession and, and stock market plummets and all sorts of other things. Um, you have job layoffs, right? Even if sure. your employee isn't um, one who's been laid off, you don't know maybe their spouse was laid off. Maybe they care for another family member um, who's who's undergoing financial stress. And then these things start to all meld together, right? You have financial stress. Maybe folks are already feeling anxious and stressed and burned out because of the other factors related to the pandemic. And now this is just another contributing factor that continues to really impact the mental health of an employee. And you know, sometimes you'll hear employees talk about it's just too much, right? It's just everything coming together. And financial wellness can really be a big driver of that. Again. We see it all the time. Um, Think about yourself, right? You need to make sure your rent or mortgage is paid and how are you gonna plan for those things? So in a time like this, I do think too from an employer perspective, it's easy to think about EAPs and some of those more traditional mental health benefits. It's also important to think about things like this, right? What are the things that are not maybe labeled mental health but are a significant contributor to it. And making sure that you also offer those programs and link your employees to where they can get good resources and help. It's all it's all combined together and really it can overall help them.
0: Yeah, because you're really talking about, I think more about causation versus, versus outcome, right? You're talking exactly. about, right? So if an employee is reporting, or even if they're not reporting, another interesting thing in the report I found, Tracy, is that if you ask somebody, hey, are you feeling burned out, or are you feeling depressed? And Lots of people say no. Some people say yes, but lots of people say no. And then you ask them yes. about some of the key indicators of burnout or stress, and they say yes to all of them, right? Yes. So but uh, you're talking about with financial wellness, if, that's, if, we're, if a problem in the, in the organization is burnout and mental health, well, that's being driven by something, right? And as you exactly. described, these financial concerns and insecurities are a big factor there. And uh, so I think it's important to realize that too.
1: Yeah, you know what? I think too um one of the things I learned when when I was, you know, administering and and dealing with benefits with employees is it's not always a negative stressor either. It's not that they've gotten themselves in trouble necessarily, but sometimes, you know, there are different times in your life where, you know, there are really good deals maybe right now on on buying a car or, you know, things like that. And so it might be positive stress, but it, your your body still reacts to it in the same way it would as if it were, you know, negative stress. So, um I think you have to be really, it's a good opportunity to be really proactive, telling employees what financial um, well-being opportunities they have with you. Because, you know, I know where where I've worked in the past, you know, we had help for someone if they were buying their first car and needed help on knowing how to do that or buying their first home. Again, something very stressful, but good, positive, but your body's still going to freak out and react the same way. So I think, too, it's just another opportunity for um, an HR team to really look at and, and spin these things in advance before people feel like they have a financial crisis um, that they're dealing with. So still stressful, but hopefully a, a positive spin on it as well.
0: I'd like to ask you about what organizations can do to help, right? So mm-hmm. some of the data in the report suggests that uh, about one third of employees are struggling with their mental health right now. I suspect that number is maybe even higher, right? I think some of this non-reporting or the stigma that you mentioned at the top maybe b- keeps that number a little artificially lower than it probably is. But let's just say it's, let's say that's the number. It's a third, right? Which is a significant portion of the workplace. What are some of the things that you guys have found or you can, you've recommended to organizations, whether it's through formal programs or just more informal cultural things that can help organizations just be more open, more supportive and kind of really try to care for these, these up to a third or maybe more of people who are struggling right now?
2: Yeah, so the, the counselor and me, this one's my, my favorite one to talk about. Um, I do agree with you. I think that there's a lot of, of folks who don't report, right? I think um, stigma still exists around mental health and seeking mental health support. Um, the, excuse me, the report did find only 25% of the employees, you know, that third you talked about, mm-hmm. who mentioned that they're, um, they're struggling, only 25% of them also said that they're getting help for it. So again, even if people are willing to take that step and say, I'm having a tough time, sometimes they're still not willing to follow through and actually raise their hand and engage in services or get that kind of support. Uh, So I I think in this space, there's a few things I think employers can do. I think one of the things that we've talked a lot about and and as we've, again, gone through this, mental health was important before the pandemic, right? We had certain industries, financial um, industries, for example, high pressure jobs, Um, there's been industries who've started to talk about it a lot more before the pandemic. And now the pandemic has really just magnified the need. But I think that there's a few things that employers can do. One is, it doesn't always have to be a significant mental health crisis to be a mental health crisis, right? It doesn't have to be that somebody is fully out of work, you know, going for inpatient treatment or anything of that magnitude. It can be the individuals who come to work every day and on the surface appear to be doing their job, but they're just, they're struggling. And and personally, they have a lot going on. Um, I think the culture is really important. Um, Lots of managers report that they feel they have an open culture, but then if you look at the stats on the employees who think they have an open culture, there's a mismatch there. Uh, and so I think as a manager, perception is everything, right? You may think you're doing a great job and that you have a great plan and great offerings. But if your workforce doesn't feel that way, um, then it's not hitting the mark. And so, you know, one of the things we saw emerge with the pandemic, which I loved, was that I think managers started to be a little more human in some areas, instead of it always being a formal conference call with an agenda your team together and just say, hey, how's everybody doing? Um, Talk about sometimes your own if you're willing to share, right? Even if it's just surface level, right? Hey, I have two kids too. My family's, you know, schedule is a little chaotic right now. Um, It just helps resonate with employees and lets them know that you're human too, and and maybe they can feel comfortable to share. Uh, And then I would say the last thing is also accessibility. So um accessibility and knowledge i think for the folks who do feel like that stigma is real the idea of calling an eap for example may be very scary to them they may be very concerned that their manager is going to know that they called so really letting them understand where the confidentiality exists and promoting them to take that step if they need to without feeling as though there's going to be repercussions is important uh and again multiple channels so For example, at MetLife, uh, we implemented mental wellness calls uh, that happened, they were happening weekly in the height of the pandemic. Um, It's a peer led group. It's not VPs and senior HR staff. It's just a group of peers that get together and people can dial in anonymously and they can just chat about how they're doing and and if they're having some stress at work. Um, There's different things that you can do. It doesn't always have to just be a formal EAP offering and all those things coming together hopefully make your employees feel like as a management team, you are committed to mental health. And and over time, that hopefully makes them feel more comfortable being honest.
0: Tracy, that's uh, fantastic. I just real quick, I, before I have to break, I have to thank our show sponsors, which I neglected to do at the top, Trish. I screwed that up big time. But Tracy, are those calls available to anybody? I might need to dial in one of those. <laughs>
1: they they are internal but normally are steve bows that's how our well, call so you goes know, the they're problem is
0: our company's mental health causes. <laughs> i'll call you up and complain and you have to listen to it so I, <laughs> <sighs> all right i let me take a quick break to thank our show sponsors really quick uh this episode of the hr happy hour is made possible by our friends at work human the world is watching the leaders of today and tomorrow modern employees want a workplace where they're respected seen appreciated and heard and they are demanding it. Employees have the right to a human workplace, and you have the power to create one. And thriving organizations like Cisco, Merck, and LinkedIn have realized the immense benefits of putting the human at the center of work. Get your copy of the book, Making Work Human on Amazon, and discover how. It actually fits really well from the the conversation we were just having about supporting employees in the workplace. Um, We'd also like to thank our friends at Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes, while 2020 has challenged HR leaders like never before, they continue to play an important strategic role in their organization while also fueling efficiency, building culture, and developing teams using the latest technology and tools available. The fourth annual 2020 Paychex Pulse of HR survey provides a look at how HR professionals are contributing to the success of the companies they serve. Go to paychex.com slash pulse2020 today to download your copy of the 2020 Paychex Pulse of HR Survey report and also listen to our payroll year-end show there's still time it's not quite the year end we just recorded right. it with our friend Tom Hammond of Paychex get your payroll reports in order please people it won't be a merry christmas uh, if you don't <laughs> i like that i feel like you just
1: threaten people with their <laughs> <Get your laughs> payroll in order with their payroll <laughs>
0: There's oh, only one I don't, thing you can't screw up in HR, Trish. It's payroll. Well, there's a lot of things you could screw up, but that's the first and most important. Oh, that's
1: the no. That is the one. You've you've got that right. The people's um, pay right. <laughs> oh goodness. Hey, listen. I I wanted to talk a little bit about um, one of the things that was most interesting to me in the report, Tracy, and I think hopefully most most interesting to you as well is um, you cover a lot about resilience of employees, and I know that you know, it's been interesting because there's a lot of stories coming out of all, all different companies I've been talking to, people who have really stepped up. It's not based on their title or their role necessarily. It's just people have really, some have bounced back in really interesting ways, really helpful ways, um, really supportive ways. What kind of findings did you have around resilience and the impact that that can have on the organization?
2: Yeah, Trish, I agree with you. It, it definitely is one of the more interesting parts of this. And I think that one of the reasons that it's interesting from an employer perspective, when you think about the workforces again, you kind of, it also kind of bounces back to that stigma and mental health topic in the sense that these things are all interwoven together. So when you think about resilience, there are employees who have absolutely seemed to just handle the changes and all of the uncertainty better than others. Um, For many of us, I think about my own team here at MetLife, right? You just always have people who are a little better with change than maybe others, and and others need a little bit more time to process it. And so the folks who are more resilient and seem to do better with that uncertainty are absolutely more productive. And so I think, again, when you think back to that culture and wanting to support mental wellness, I think the important learning here that employers can take away is, Your workforce will be more productive. Um, Not only will they be there, right, physically be there showing up and being healthy, but they're more productive. They can provide better customer service if they're in a customer-facing role. So the ability to get them to be resilient and give them the tools to be resilient and the support to be resilient does tie back into that mental wellness. Um, And so again, giving them the programs and support to do so, not only because it's the right thing, but there is absolutely a business tie in there on continuing to build that resiliency and help your employees through different changes, particularly because now appears to be somewhat of a new normal in some industries and and with some cultures. Um, And a lot of folks thought they'd maybe be back in the office within a few months. And here we are, uh, most of us doing this from our homes. And so again, more you promote those programs and really try to build that resiliency and, and employees will go through it in a different way, right? It's not gonna be a one size fits all for each employee. But the more you can offer multiple channels for employees to tap into and and try to get through those things and build their resiliency, the better off your business will be.
1: I think I think you're right. I think too it's we've we've sort of gotten past that constant wishing for things to be like they were. They're just not. They're not going. They're they're not going back that way. So, yeah, I, it's interesting too. I always I always liked when I had maybe employees I had underestimated a little bit on how they might react in a crisis and you know, I think you can see them really step up. Like Steve, for example, has been doing real well, really pleased with how he stepped up in this uh, crisis. It's been
0: inspirational.
1: (laughs) No, seriously. I, I think, you know, even for a small business, right? We're a small business. We have one other employee and um, you have to have those same stresses and worries, right? Everyone has to work in a different way because everything's changed. You know, he and I are used to being in person more with people and on the road and constant travel. And so when you have to adjust your entire business model, it can be very stressful. Again, not necessarily bad stress. It can be good. It might be better. I guess that's the thing too. I haven't heard a lot about that though. Are you hearing from maybe any of the people you're surveying or even your colleagues, peers, um, is it possible that what comes out the other side, even though it came from a very negative cause, is it possible it's better that this is a shakeup we needed? Yeah. You know,
2: it's funny you say that. Um, I do think, you know, certainly again, not in every area, right. There could, there are certainly employees that are missing going into the office and seeing their coworkers and things like that. But I do think to that point, one of the things we found interesting is Um, again, going back into that kind of flexibility and culture perspective, you know, some industries had maybe a little bit more of a reservation about work from home historically, and they just weren't ready to get on that train. And this has really forced them to do that. And in a lot of those cases we're hearing, and even with some of our own teams internal, people really did not skip a beat on productivity in a lot of spaces. And again, kind of thinking about, again, we had customers call us and say, even off cycle, we're, we're implementing a new leave for childcare. Um, in the past, right, I think employees sometimes were forced to just figure it out on their own and then go to work and pretend like nothing had happened, even though their personal schedule may be chaotic. And so I, I do think there are parts of this that are better. Uh, again, it's forced kind of real life and the work life to become a little bit more connected and a little bit more transparent. Uh, And in some of those cases, again, there are some workforces that have said all along, I can do my same job from home. And if I don't have a two hour commute, or I can flex an hour and go drop my kid off at school, that's a value add for me that as an employee might make me stay with this company and be a longer tenured employee. And so I think it's, again, just kind of forced um, to rip the band aid off a little bit in some of those instances. And the outcome I, I do think is positive. So Uh, It'll be interesting to see how some of this maybe goes back or doesn't quite go back to exactly the way it was before.
1: I think too, it's interesting because I see a lot of positives that come out of it. And I just wonder, are we going to appreciate things that much more when we are back in the office, right? When we are able to travel, when we are able to be together in person, um, because I I can speak for myself. I definitely took it for granted, right? That I could fly anywhere anywhere like if you said oh you've got to come to New York we have to have this meeting in person I mean I'd be on a plane it would just you know so um, I think I'll appreciate the in-person contact that much more um, when it happens. Yeah there's
0: some really interesting data in the report Tracy and Trisha around work-life balance and one of the data points in the notes that I have here uh, is you found that 34 percent of respondents said not being able to connect with their coworkers in person is one of their top sources of stress and anxiety. I never would have guessed that, that uh-huh. that many people would say that's one of the top sources of stress. That's so interesting to me. I mean, I get it a little bit, but yeah. I don't understand. I mean, I, I, everybody feels differently about this, but I wouldn't have thought it was that much of a source yeah. of stress and, and it's important well, and to and I I think understand that.
2: Yeah, I think that one's interesting too, right, because I know at the same token, we also have people who are talking about kind of like virtual fatigue, right, because they're on Zooms all day long. So it's interesting. I think in a lot of arenas, we're doing more video conference than we were before. So we are seeing each other more than just dialing into a conference call or things like that. Um, But I, I think what we hear a lot from employees is what they miss is, the informal connectivity, running into somebody when you go down to get coffee or running into someone, you know, peeking out for lunch together. Um, Again, meeting for dinner after a work meeting, those kinds of things that just give that camaraderie uh, among the workforce. And and I think those are the things people miss. And and by the way, I think they're also the things people probably miss in their personal life. I know I do, (laughs) Um, you know, meeting friends for dinner and those kinds of things. So I, I think it falls into that same Um, same arena. Again, it'll be interesting to see afterward, though, in terms of what companies offer. Again, for example, going back to the office, is it voluntary? Um, Do you go back when you want to go back and kind of see people here and there? Or is it a more formal schedule for those types of office environments that maybe before had a much more rigid schedule? But some people do miss it, right? And, And I know also we talk a lot about kids and Chaos of scheduling and coverage. But there's also the folks who maybe are empty nesters. And for them, it does feel very isolating to be at home. And um, so we try not to forget about that population as well, right? I think a lot of those are folks that do miss going into the office uh, and, and seeing people um, because, you know, they're home alone and, and that can be difficult too.
0: I'm, I'm laughing only because I'm one of those people and I, I, I did go out. <laughs> to the grocery store finally, but I hadn't left my house in about three weeks other than to like go for a jog. I hadn't gone anywhere. I had to make sure my car still started, but um, yeah, that's a good point, Tracy. We could probably go on and on about this forever, which we which we shouldn't probably, but uh, Tracy, for folks who obviously want to learn more, we want to direct them to uh, find the uh, employee benefit Trends study report itself, but is there any other kind of just, thoughts or anything you wanna share for folks who are HR or benefits people listening to the show as we sort of wind down 2020 move into 2021, just a, whether it's your counselor hat or your your MetLife <laughs> kind of benefits hat, just what's your, what would be one or two things you'd want to, uh, folks to take away?
2: Sure, yeah, and I, I've been there for 16 years, so those hats are starting to become one. Uh, but I, I think Trish touched on this a little bit earlier around just like if you think about benefits planning and the typical cycles we would go through, the, the biggest thing I would leave uh, folks listening to this with is um, it doesn't have to be a rigid schedule. It doesn't have to be formal. Um, talk to your people and, and, you know, that'll serve a few purposes. It'll let them know that you're committed and real and, and curious and interested and supportive. Um, and you'll also probably get much more meaningful information back. Um, and depending on your workforce and the size of it, right, it could be anonymous surveys, it could be open hours, it could be anything. Uh, But I think the real learning for all of us uh, through this pandemic is to just really stay committed to our workforce and and really listen and hear what they need from us uh, to help be
1: more productive and mentally healthy. 100% agree with that. I would say too, just also make sure you're reaching out to your your managers who are leading teams because even pre-pandemic, they sometimes struggle with the line of getting too personal with people. You know, I've had lots of, of leaders tell me over the years, well, I can't ask them this or that because it's too personal. And I would assure them, no, you, you can if here's how you do it, right? So it might even be just a time to revisit a little training or something like that for your leaders so that they feel like it is okay to direct people to use different, um, whether it's financial or mental well-being kind of offerings you have um, and, and remind them what you have. So a lot of times you, you look and even in HR, you might have forgotten what you actually have access to. So um, it's a good time of year to look at that heading into the new year.
0: Yeah, really, really good stuff. I think for me too, and this is just my unscientific non-counselor opinion is I, I think we have to be careful next year, especially as vaccines start rolling out and things start to seemingly get back to normal, that everything's just now going to be okay again right? Mm -hmm. There's just going to be a magic day or, or, or or quarter next year and everything's okay. Now we don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. We don't have to worry about stress or burnout or mental health or work-life balance. Like they're not miraculously going away because they were all, or many of them anyway, we're all here before all of this, right? Right. Mental health in the workplace was an issue before 2020. Right. And it's, it's probably even after the pandemic ends, it's still going to be an issue, right? The scars of this will linger, right? With people who got sick in your family, maybe, you know, Tragically, you lost a loved one or a friend or a family member or a colleague, a coworker, right? I mean, it's, it's good, like, As this goes on and on more and more, no one, no one is not touched by this in some way, directly or indirectly. And the idea that all of a sudden it's just going to get all better, right, because you got a vaccine, I don't think that's true at all. So I don't want to be a downer on this, but I think it's important we continue to focus on, on, on wellness, on mental health, and care and support of our, our teams and our colleagues, right, even way beyond this. So that's my two cents. I stunned everyone into silence. That was great. You
1: did. No, that's you're, you I think that's it, right? Uh, we've kind of put a bow on it. Really, yeah. it's it's just you know, take care of yourself, take care of your people, um, be human, right? Tracy mentioned that earlier in the. That's right. In the podcast, I mean, it's 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 the simple things that we don't always do, and yeah. It's, it's a good reminder.
0: All right, great. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. Tracy Fersler from MetLife. We will put the link to the report in the show notes, of course. Highly recommend people download and read it. Uh, great to see you. Great to meet you. Stay warm in upstate New York. Good luck yeah. with the winter, the rest of the winter, or it hasn't even started yet, the beginning of the winter. It's coming.
2: It's coming. Thank you coming. so much for having me. This, awesome. this was fun. I appreciate it.
0: Good stuff. All right, Trish, uh, we want to thank our friends at Work Human and Paychex one last time. Thank we you uh, for all they do for us and uh great show good to see you and uh that's it have a happy whatever it is whatever day this runs happy today thanks so much <laughs> for listening to the hr happy hour show for tracy firstler for trish mcfarland my name is steve bows we will see you next time and bye for now